0: It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Thank you. you. may be seated. And I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We, uh, in, in building this white, big white cross in the choir loft behind us, uh, we wanted it to shine, but we didn't want it to shine quite that brightly. And uh, <laughs> when we plugged it in and it came on, there were angels that went, ha! Ah. I mean, it was that bright. And so we debated on leaving it on during the message, and I thought, you know what, it's just too painful for your eyes. And there's a lot of illustrations that could come out of that. You know, if the cross hurts your eyes, there might be something wrong with your heart. Amen? We could do a whole lot of that, but I didn't want you to be super distracted today, so um, Courtney shut it off for us, uh, for our time together in God's Word. Because I don't want you to be distracted from what we're going to look at today. Um, And it's actually the reality of the cross uh, that Jesus suffered upon 2,000 years ago. ago. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 and uh, if you look at your bulletin, you already have my entire sermon but you're not allowed to leave until the end of church, okay? Just because you have all the notes doesn't mean you can get up and walk out. Uh, I still want you to pay close attention uh, because I am going going to uh, to spend some time in that outline but today we're going to first of all reflect on the cross and remember that 2,000 years ago, there was a very significant individual that died on an old rugged cross. His name's Jesus Christ. Now, he's not the only person that died on a cross 2,000 years ago. The cross was used to execute many, many people as a public example and demonstration. But there was one person that was executed on a cross that didn't stay in the grave, and his name was Jesus Christ. And for that reason, we want to reflect on the reality of the cross of Christ this morning and then after we reflect on the reality of the cross I want us to discover that we ourselves you and me followers of Jesus Christ are to have the same mind that Jesus had that led him to the cross and ultimately our lives as Christ's followers is to reflect the cross every day. And so you see kind of that theme represented here on the stage. We have mirrored crosses, and I'm going to share a little bit more uh, about that with you later. But, you know, I grew up in church. I was a Pentecostal preacher's kid. My dad was a pastor with the Church of God. And uh, so from day one, I was in church, and I was surrounded by imagery of the cross. Uh, We had pictures of the cross in my house. Uh, Growing up, we had, uh, there were crosses on the buildings where my dad worked there's crosses on this building, you know, uh, where Drew's dad works now. And, I mean, if, you, if, you, if you'll notice, there's crosses embedded in the architecture all over this building. Uh, look in the windows. You'll see the cross depicted in our window seals. If you go in the atrium and, and turn back and look toward the sanctuary, you'll see in the architecture there's crosses everywhere. We're surrounded by the cross because the cross is very important. Uh, as a matter of fact, when we broke ground on this building, we had all of you come out and gather in the front acreage here in the shape of a cross because the cross is so important to us and and if you're like me and you've grown up in in church most of your life you too have been surrounded by imagery of the cross but i'm afraid that our familiarity with the cross can can sometimes lead to a comfortableness uh, maybe a casualness maybe even complacency about what took place on the cross and so today's palm sunday we're gearing up for resurrection sunday and typically the sunday before on palm sunday we focus our attention on the cross what took place there and we're even going to close our service today with the lord's table in remembrance of his sacrifice for us on the cross but in reflecting on the cross i wanted to do something a little bit different and before i get to that let's look at our text here philippians chapter 2 and this morning, I'm going to drill down on verses 5 through 8. There's so much here in chapter 2, but we're going to look at just three verses. Philippians was written by Paul to the Philippians uh, who were believers in that city from prison. He wrote it around AD 61, and the purpose of this letter to them was to, to thank them for a gift that they had sent him through a man named Epaphroditus. And then he also wanted them to, uh, he, he wanted to encourage them to pursue unity By reflecting the mindset of Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our text. He writes in verse 5 of chapter 2, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Some translations say he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. Taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, many things took place on the cross 2,000 years ago. It is a gruesome historic reality that a man named Jesus Christ died being crucified on a cross outside the city of Jerusalem. It's a secular historic fact. But we being spiritual followers of Jesus Christ know that something more happened than just a man dying on the cross. There's so many spiritual things that took place. God placed on Jesus while he was on the cross the sins of the world. He bore our sin, our shame, the debt that we owed and our violation against God's law was placed on Jesus Christ. That's what spiritually took place. He was separated from God while he was on the cross. We know that a lot of emotional things took place to Jesus while he was on the cross. Can you imagine being abandoned by your closest friends the night before? The men you had, you had traveled with for three years and invested and poured into them, and now all of a sudden they're gone save one? Can you imagine being publicly humiliated in front of a large crowd like that in severe pain, and have your mother there watching. So many spiritual, so many emotional things happen to Jesus on the cross. But today, I want us to take some time to focus on the physical aspects of Jesus' death on the cross. Some 20 years ago, when I was a student at Liberty University, that's how long it's been since I've graduated college, ladies and gentlemen, I heard something that, was, that was, uh, it was gut-wrenching to me. Even even someone that had grown up around imagery of the cross and knowing the story of the crucifixion of Jesus, I had never heard it put quite like this. And, and what I heard was a medical account of the crucifixion by Dr. C. Truman Davis. He was a guest speaker in our chapel. And as a medical doctor, he had always been intrigued by the fact that Jesus, he could have died any number of ways, but he died the death of crucifixion. And, and he wanted to kind of investigate because he realized that in studying the account of, of Jesus' crucifixion that no cause of death was given. And so he, he began to study the process, the gruesome process of the crucifixion, and the result was what I'm about to read to you this morning. He said, Crucifixion was a form of execution refined by the Romans to a precise art. It was carefully conceived to produce a slow death with maximum pain, it was a public spectacle intended to deter other would-be criminals. It was a death to be feared. The word excruciating comes from the pain that was inflicted on the cross. The Latin roots of the word are ex, meaning from or out of, and cruciate, meaning cross. The word excruciate comes from the Latin form from or out of the cross. It began in the garden. In Luke twenty-two twenty-four. 24 Luke writes of Jesus, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This is a medical condition called hematohydrosis. It is a very rare condition of sweating blood. It occurs when the capillaries surrounding the sweat glands burst because a person is under intense psychological pressure. Leonardo da Vinci wrote historically that soldiers would sweat blood before battle because of extreme anxiety. Jesus was sweating blood in anticipation of the excruciating death of the cross. Then our Savior was beaten. It was in this dehydrated condition that Jesus faced his first physical abuse, punches and slaps to the face and head while being blindfolded. Can you imagine not knowing where someone was going to strike you, when, how? Not being able to see. Jesus was badly bruised, his mouth and eyes possibly injured. The psychological effects of false trials should not be underestimated. Consider that Jesus faced them bruised, dehydrated, exhausted, possibly already in shock. And in the previous 12 hours, Jesus had suffered emotional trauma, rejection by his closest friends, a cruel beating, a sleepless night during which he had to walk miles between unjust hearings. And despite being physically fit through his journeys through Palestine and being a carpenter, the effects would be worse as a result. And then he was flogged. A man that was flogged was stripped of his clothes and his hands tied to a post above his head. He was then whipped across the shoulders and back, the thighs and legs. The soldiers standing behind into one side of the victim and the whip used, the flagellum or flagrum, was designed to make this a devastating punishment, bringing the victim close to death. The flagrum consisted of several short heavy leather thongs with two small balls of lead or or iron attached near the end of each. Pieces of sheep's bone were sometimes included. As the scourging proceeds, the heavy leather thongs produce first superficial cuts, then deeper damage to underlying tissues. Bleeding becomes severe when not only capillaries and veins are cut, but also arteries in the underlying muscles. The small metal balls first produce large, deep bruises which are broken up by further blows. The fragments of sheep's bone rip the flesh as the whip is drawn back. When the beating is finished, the skin of the back is in ribbons and the entire area is torn and bleeding. Some men died from the scourging alone that Jesus suffered. Then he was torn down from the post at the point of collapse. And then he was mocked. Jesus was allowed no time to recover before facing his next ordeal. Made to stand, he was dressed in a robe by jeering soldiers, crowned with the twisted band of thorny twigs, and to complete the parody, given a wooden staff as a king's scepter. Behold the king of the Jews, they said. Next, they spat on his face, struck him on the head with the wooden staff, the long thorns driven deeper into the sensitive scalp tissue, producing profuse bleeding, but even more terrible was the reopening. Of the wounds on jesus back when the robe was again torn off further weakened physically and emotionally jesus was led away to be executed and here we arrive at the cross the wooden cross used by the romans was too heavy to be carried by one man instead of the victim to be crucified was made to bear the detached crossbar or patabulum across his shoulders carrying it outside the city walls to the place of execution. The heavy, upright portion of the cross was permanently in position there. And so Jesus was unable to carry his load. That beam alone probably weighed between 75 to 125 pounds. He collapsed under the burden, and an onlooker, Simon of Cyrene, was ordered to take it for him. They offered Jesus a drink to dull his pain, a mixture of wine and myrrh, but he refused. He refused thrown down on his back with arms outstretched along the crossbar nails, were driven through Jesus' wrists into the wood. The spikes were about six inches long. They were three-eighths of an inch thick. They severed the large sensory motor, median nerve, causing excruciating pain in both of his arms. Carefully placed between the bones and the ligaments, they were able to bear the full weight of the crucified man, You'll hear a lot of people say, well, I thought the Bible says that they were driven into his hands. And he told Thomas, behold my hands. But anatomists of then and now say that the wrist is included in the part of the hand. In preparation for nailing the feet, Jesus was lifted up and the crossbar was fixed to the upright post. Then with legs bent at the knee, a single nail was used to pierce both feet. One foot being placed over the other. And again, there was severe nerve damage and the pain... That was caused was intense. It's more important to note, however, that neither the wounds to the wrist or feet caused substantial bleeding since no major arteries were ruptured. The executioner took care to ensure this so that death would be slower and the suffering longer. Now nailed to his cross, the real horror of crucifixion began. When the wrists were nailed to the crossbar, the elbows were intentionally left in a bent position so that the crucified man would hang with his arms above his head, the weight being taken on the nails on the wrist. Obviously, this was unbearable pain, but it had another effect. It is very difficult to exhale, to breathe out in this position. In order to breathe out and then take in fresh air, it was necessary to push the body up on the nailed feet. And when the pain from the feet became unbearable, the victim would again slump down to hang... By the arms, a terrible cycle of pain began. Hanging by the arms, unable to breathe, pushing up on the feet to inhale quickly before again slumping down, and on and on and on. This tortured activity became more and more difficult as Jesus' back was scraped against the upright post, as muscle cramps set in because of an inadequate respiration and as exhaustion grew more severe, Jesus suffered in this manner for several hours with the final cry, He died. Victims of crucifixion hung there for hours. But Jesus died quickly. Pilate was surprised to find Jesus already dead. And this medical doctor states that perhaps a fatal cardiac arrhythmia, perhaps cardiac rupture, are likely the candidate's. Jesus was already dead as the executioners broke the legs of the criminals crucified alongside him in order to speed up their deaths. Instead, we read that a soldier pierced Jesus' side with a spear. Where on his side? The word chosen by John suggests the ribs. And if the soldier intended to make Jesus' death certain, a wound to the heart was the obvious choice. And it says that from the wound came a flow of blood and water. This is consistent with a spear blow to the heart, especially from the right side. The traditional site of the wound, rupturing the pericardium, the sac surrounding the heart releasing a flow of watery serum, followed by blood as the heart was pierced. The conclusion of this medical doctor, he said the detailed accounts given in the gospel combined with historical evidence of crucifixion bring us to a firm conclusion. Modern medical knowledge supports the claim of the scriptures that Jesus died on the cross. So as we reflect on the cross this morning and the gruesome reality that took place there, I want us to remember why. Why would he endure that? Paul says that he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Why would Jesus submit to such suffering? Because in doing so, it made possible our salvation. The old song says, Out of debt, I could not pay, right? I needed somebody to wash my sins away. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. He shed his innocent blood for our guilty sins so that we could know him and have eternal life. So the gruesome reality of Christ's crucifixion, when genuinely received, leads to glorious redemption. He laid his life down for you, for me. Don't become so familiar with the cross that you forget that. It's sobering. Let me tell you what's even more sobering. The reality that this one who gave himself for us on the cross calls anyone who wants to come after him, anyone who wants to follow him, anyone that wants to enjoy the salvation he's provided, he challenges us to take up our cross and follow him. He says in Luke 9.23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What does that mean? I thought we were going to get everlasting life if we believe Jesus. Jesus is calling us to death. Well, there's a couple ways that we take up our cross. And in doing so, we reflect the cross. Remember the, the opening line of our text is, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it delineates what he did. He left heaven, he humbled himself, he came as a bondservant, he became obedient to death. And so this morning in our, in our brief time that remains, I want to go through ways that we can reflect the cross. It's found here in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. The first way is by crucifying our pride To let humility live. It says in verses 7 and 8, He made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. What was rightly his as sovereign God, he set aside, made himself nothing so that we could know him. This is hard for us to understand because we live in a self-centered, self-promoting social media society I mean, we we manipulate our reputations on a daily basis, don't we? Reputation manipulation. I want people to see me here doing this, and I want to look this way, and the lighting's not quite right. We manage our image all day long, every day, thanks to social media. Jesus made himself of no reputation. He's the perfect picture of humility, and we are the perfect picture of pride. Pride is the most sinister sin The original sin in the garden. It's the sin that caused mankind to fall. Do you remember Satan's line to Eve? If you eat of this forbidden fruit, you will be like God. That appeals to our flesh, doesn't it? It appeals to our pride. Pride's the most sinister sin. But the one man who has ever lived on planet Earth that could have been prideful, he had every right made himself of no reputation. He could, have, he could have boasted about who he was, what he had, what he's done, and yet the Bible says he was humble. He humbled himself. Imagine if Jesus had been around during the day of social media, he could have Instagrammed a picture of himself walking on the water. Top that. This is me on water. You know, he could have tweeted with real birds that he created. He could send a bird to your window and he could tweet a message to you. He could have videoed on Facebook him raising the dead. Talk about a new meaning to Facebook Live, right? Jesus, Facebook, Live, anyway. But he didn't. Even though they didn't have social media back then, the only reason crowds formed wasn't because Jesus promoted himself. Other people promoted Jesus, and when the crowds came, he sent them away. He was the picture of humility. Anytime that people would attribute to him anything or give him any credit, he would defer praise to his father. In John 12, 49, he says, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment to say what I'm saying. My words, not my words, they're his words. Always deflecting praise. Never a self-promoter. Never manipulating his reputation. The picture of humility. So if we want to reflect the cross, if we want to be like Jesus, if we want to have his mind, we need to crucify our pride. Nail it to the cross. We are done with self-promotion. And we are all about humility We also reflect the cross by crucifying our preferences. Number two, to let service live. It says in Philippians 2.7 that Jesus, when he came, he took on the form of a bondservant, like a slave. He didn't come to be served. And again, anybody deserving service would have been Jesus. I mean, hello. Do you see how the queen lives? Do you see how our president lives? Jesus could have set himself up to be the supreme royal, that needed to be served and yet he came humbly as a bond servant. He said the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is also difficult for us to understand because we are consumers in a consumer driven society. I believe it was Burger King back in the 70's or maybe 80's that started this whole the consumer is number one. Their slogan was have it your way. Well, Because my way is the most important way Right? So of course I want to have it my way, and we've been demanding our way ever since. We want to be served as customers. The customer's always right. And somehow that's infiltrated its way into the church. I want this kind of music. I want this kind of message. I want this kind of seat to sit in. The temperature has to be between this and this. It has to be these times. There's a gentleman who's a Christian comedian that made a parody of of the sad reality and it's kind of funny but it's also kind of sad and I want to show it to you now it's called Church Hoppers by John Chris check this out
1: Nick and Molly just moved to the city and can't agree on what they want they're young and energetic and looking for a new church home we'll take some personality tests tour the sites ask some questions and based on taste experience and location we'll find them the perfect congregation I'm Corey Clark, and welcome to Church Hunters.
0: We're so excited to find a church. We just started dating.
1: Um, with the churches we go to now, just not, like, for us. Just not really doing it for us, you know?
0: Right. I I go
1: to a satellite campus. I just find it hard to connect emotionally with a video screen.
0: It's just...
1: Okay, you cried during Cake Boss. So like, we've been doing a lot of services online, a lot of podcasts, there are a lot of preachers we do like.
0: Really good. But we want, we want serious yet funny.
1: Yeah, like commanding of the stage yet relatable, you mm-hmm. know?
0: We're more looking for uh, the humor of Andy Stanley with the body of Stephen Furtick.
1: Hey guys, what's happening? I'm Corey. Good to see you. My name's Nick. This hey, is Molly. Hey guys, welcome to Church Hunters. This is your first church. This is Creekside First Baptist. So while it is traditional, it's still pretty current. Just okay. this year, the pastor started untucking his shirts. Oh, wow. that's good. Big deal. He does dress his age though, so don't worry. He's past the Osteen suit phase, but he hasn't gone full Giglio yet. Okay, oh. so holes in the knees or no? Well, it's frayed, but no holes. It's frayed? Oh. No. Okay, got kind of it. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So hey, let me show you around. Okay, come on. Let's do it. I do love this lobby. It's yeah. a great lobby. You know, yeah. it's not too big, not too small. Yeah. It should be enough room to catch up, chat with your friends. But here's a great thing. There's a bunch of side exits. So if you need to leave early and catch the game, you can do that. Got it. Honestly, right up front, uh, didn't love the name. No, I, First Baptist, who names a church that anymore? I just... Not these days. We're looking really no. for like a Thrive Church, maybe Relevant Church, I don't know, Radiant Church, something. This is the soundboard they use here. Okay. Now remember, okay. it's pretty traditional here. So when Sunday comes around, they turn it way down low. Got it. <laughs> yeah. But the one knock on this church, they still use the child care numbering system on the screens. Ooh. Uh, for yeah. Yep. Or as the moms like to call it, the Sanctuary Walk of Shame. Yeah. <laughs>
0: The Sunday morning experience was just a little too traditional for, for us. For
1: us, I mean, the pastor's main point, 157 characters. I can't tweet that. Yeah. I really think you guys are going to love this place. I like we it. We do. We like Feels it. Great. it yeah. You know, it's diverse, but it's not like too diverse, you know? Uh,
0: um, scripture-heavy sermons? Or, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: What about, uh, is it community-oriented? Absolutely. great oh, Women in ministry? The parking situation, you guys got to see it. It's super rare nowadays. It. Come with me. was like a, a maybe for when my parents come in into town yeah. for a church for Christmas. Easter type of church. Like a holiday Holidays. type church. One of the main reasons that I love this church for you guys is that on your personality test, Molly, you scored high in service and hospitality. Oh, babe. And there's wow. a great welcome team you could join. Perfect. Okay. And then Nick, you scored really high in need for accountability. Wow. And the men's groups here are amazing. You're just, just going to put that out there? Hey, just God like knows that? your heart, okay? on the next episode of Church Hunters I think you're really gonna love this place they take relevance to a whole new level this church identifies as inter denominational this pastor speaks out of a brand new translation it's the Tumblr Bible
0: mm, funny funny yes but sad is it not Christians here in the belt buckle of the Bible Belt man we get so particular Because we become the consumer. You know, a lot of people say, I'm trying to find a church. They are the church. Instead of looking for a church, be the church. Be the church. That's who we're uh, supposed to be. And that's what we're supposed to reflect. Not our preferences, but our attitude of service. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. We also reflect the cross by number three, by crucifying our prejudices. And letting love live. Now we've been in that sermon series about Jonah. And Jonah did not want to take the gospel to the Ninevites. He was prejudiced against the Ninevites. Justifiably so. They were fierce warriors that had devastated his nation. Why would God ever want to save them? Do you have people you're prejudiced against? People that you don't want God to save because you don't really care About them, maybe your Nineveh is the Democratic Party. I got to throw Republicans out there too. Maybe it's the Republican Party. Maybe the Ninevites in your life are liberals. Maybe they're people from Oklahoma. I mean, let's just get real. You just have people in your life, and you just you're prejudiced. You don't want people to reach. You know, you don't want to reach people that that you're prejudiced against, but. But the cross doesn't speak of prejudice. The cross preaches love. Amen. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. You know the old the old poem, somebody asked God, how much, uh, how much do you love me? And Jesus stretched out his arms and said this much on the cross and died. The cross is a picture of love, not prejudice. That Romans 5, 8 passage says that while we were still sinners, well, who are sinners? Well, the Bible also says that all of us have sinned. It covers everybody. That's adulterers, murderers, liars, idol worshipers, thieves, blasphemers, everybody, all of us. And God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were in that condition, he sent Jesus to die for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And here's the kicker, guys. We're commanded to crucify our prejudices so that love can live because in John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you also should love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples. Not because you're prejudiced, but because you're loving. And your love crosses all barriers, all boundaries. So the only way that we can reflect the love of God from the cross is to crucify our prejudices, and let love live. And finally, we reflect the cross by crucifying our personal offenses to let forgiveness live. If you ever have time, I encourage you to study the final words of Christ from the cross. There are, there are phrases that are amazing phrases that as he's enduring that intense physical suffering, he, he speaks And what he says is amazing. One of the things he says is found in Luke chapter 23, verse 24. Jesus looks out on those from the cross who falsely tried him, who mocked him, who beat him, who scourged him, who spit on his face, who nailed him to a cross. And you know what he said? Father, forgive them. Forgive them. We're supposed to reflect that. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus, from the cross, forgave the ones who put him there. That's supposed to be reflected in our lives. And it can only be reflected in our lives if we crucify our personal offenses. Even those those that are deeply personal, we have to forgive. Ephesians 4.32, we're commanded, Be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You know, it's hard to hold a grudge when you're carrying the cross. It's It's hard to hold on to something that someone did to you, some offense that was very personal. It's hard to hold on to that when you look at the cross and realize that from the cross, Jesus said, forgive them. We have to crucify our personal offenses and let forgiveness live. I came across an amazing hymn written by Mrs. Ada Whittington in 1891. It's entitled, Not I, But Christ. And this should be the hymn of every follower of Jesus Christ. It says this, Not I, but Christ be honored, loved, exalted. Not I, but Christ be seen, be known, and heard. Not I, but Christ in every thought, in every look and action, not I but Christ in every thought and word. Oh, to be saved from myself, dear Lord. Oh, to be lost in thee. Oh, that it may be no more I but Christ that lives in me. Not I, but Christ. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus died for us so that we could live for him, but not live our own life, but allow Christ to live through us. As I was preparing the stage this week, I was putting up uh, some of the mirrors here that, that are in the shape of a cross. And Monday after work, Piper Haley came in. She was here for a piano lesson, and she was kind of running around, and she was looking at all the stuff and had some of the mirrors up, and, and she stood down here, and she, she looked up on the stage, and she said, hey, I can see myself in the cross. And then she came up on the stage, and she stood right here in front of this cross right here, and uh, she, she held her hands out like this and stood on her tiptoes. So she was seeing her reflection in the cross. Could somebody say that about you? Could somebody say, I don't know what this is, but you don't live for yourself. There's something different about you. You're not like everybody else. Everybody else is prideful. You're, you're full of humility. Everybody else, it's about their preferences. You serve. You put other people first. Everybody else is prejudiced against this group, that group. You love everybody. What is it about you? Man, I saw what that person did to you. They offended you. That was, that was a deep hurt, and you forgave them? What's the deal? Can people see the cross reflected in your life? Will you stand with me this morning? I want to ask you to bow your heads, to close your eyes. I'm going to ask Marty to come and begin playing. We're going to do something a little bit different today in preparation For the Lord's table During this time of invitation What Piper did That visual Of her With her hands outstretched Trying to match The cross Seeing her reflection In the cross it It really stuck with me And I thought man I wonder if I can say What Paul said In Galatians 2 I wonder if I can truly say I've been crucified with Christ. Jesus said, anybody that wants to come after me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. That means crucifying your pride, crucifying your preferences. That means crucifying your prejudices, loving as God loved, crucifying even those personal offenses that have held you captive in bitterness and bondage for so long. We need to nail that to the cross with Christ and then let him live through us. So if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a believer, I want you to do something. Nobody's looking around, so you don't need to be embarrassed. We're all kind of open here before the Lord. Nobody's looking around, every eye closed. I just want you to take your hands and I want you to lift them up to your side. Just lift them out. This is you, just as you would be on the cross. Just lift them out to God. And I wanna pray for us this morning. I want us to surrender our lives fresh and anew to God and say, God, thank you for the reminder of what you did for me on the cross. Now, I lay myself down, I deny myself, and I take up my own cross, and I wanna live for you this morning. Father, help us to crucify those things in our life that keep us from reflecting the power of your cross. Right now with your hands outstretched I want you to repeat what Paul wrote In Galatians 2 after me I'm going to feed it to you Line by line we're just going to say the first part I'm going to say the first line And I want you to repeat it out loud Only say it if you mean it This is a prayer from a believer's heart to God Say I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live But Christ lives in me Lord, that is our prayer. We want to reflect the power of your cross. We want people to see our lives and see something that's different. We're walking dead people, Lord. We've died to our selfless, selfish pride, to our sinful prejudices, all the things that keep people from seeing you and us. Lord, help us to live and shine for you. In Jesus' name. Now those of you that couldn't pray that prayer, Those of you that heard for the first time what Jesus did on the cross, the why behind everything that Jesus suffered, the answer to that why is he did it for you. The Bible says all of us have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God and the wages of that sin. The payment for our sin is death and eternal separation from God. That's why Jesus came, to pay the price for your sin. So that by faith in him and his finished work on the cross for you, you can have eternal life. You can be forgiven of every sin in your past, present, future and have the hope of eternal life in him. Doesn't that sound great? If you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Savior, in a few moments we're going to sing a a song that says, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul. And if you've never trusted Jesus, there's going to be a group of people down here that would love to take your hand, open the Bible and show you how you can be saved. And so as we start singing, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation, I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are, come down, take somebody by the hand and say, I need to trust Jesus. I need to trust Jesus. Christians, if you need to pray and you want to take this time to prepare your heart before we participate in the Lord's table, I invite you to come. But let's sing together.